Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is May the 24th. It's a Thursday. This is episode 900 Native Survival Podcast. And I have a cool show for you lined up today. i got a guy named Jacob Farley hanging on the line. I'm going to bring him on in just a moment. He's going to talk to us about utility terrain vehicles, all-terrain vehicles, and other cool stuff like that. Before I bring him on, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, ShelfReliance.com. Notice I said shelf like something you put things onto versus self like you, yourself, and, and you, right? It's not self, it's shelf because... They specialize in innovative food storage solutions that allow you to easily eat what you store and store what you eat. Check them out today at shelfreliance.com. Next up today, the Free State Project. Did you know that you can vote with your feet? Do you know that we can have liberty in our lifetime? That's what the Free State Project is all about. Folks that are moving to New Hampshire... And once they get there, they're getting active either inside or outside the system and moving New Hampshire in a direction to try to make it the freest state in the Union. You can learn more at freestateproject.org. Again, the concept, vote with your feet. They're looking for 10,000 people to move to New Hampshire and swing that state in the direction of liberty so that it can be an example to the rest of the country. Whether or not you choose to move, you can still help out. This is a move that's important for all of us, no matter where we live. Check it out today, freestateproject.org. Next up, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Those are the best ways to get in touch with me. And you can check out tspcopper.com for some really cool copper medallions that will help you spread the message about TSP, about the real truth about money, about the Second Amendment, about Ron and Rand Paul. There's even one for you beekeepers and many other really cool options available. Uh, it's a very affordable alternative to silver, a great way to spend, spread the message of honest money. And remember, they are AOCS official barter currency. Uh, next up, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you'll do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You'll get a whole bunch of discounts, like from 32 supporting vendors for stuff you're probably buying already. Some of them will pay the entire cost of your membership in and of themselves. If that's not enough, you'll get $150 worth of free ebooks the day you sign up, all downloadable in PDF. So yes, you can send them to your Kindle or any other e-reader that will handle PDFs. You'll get every episode of the Survival Podcast going back to the very first ones in convenient zip files. It's a really great deal, and it helps support the show at 18.3 cents an episode. Those of you who are first responders, military, law enforcement, that type of thing, if you'll send me the details of your service with the term service discount in the subject line, I'll reply back to you with a discount code so you can get uh, a discount on your membership. Please do that before you join. Doing it after you join is all but impossible. Those of you who already have a membership, when, you, when it comes time to renew, simply make sure you're not on auto renewal. Let it expire, and at that time you can use that membership. I can't go back and do it. I get that request a couple times a week. It's just logistically impossible. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, if I had thought about it from day one, which I should have, and if I had the ability to do discounts from day one, which I did not, I would have put it in place early on. But for those of you who are currently members uh, that want the service discount, renewal is the time to get that done. With that, I do have the housekeeping wrapped up. I'm going to bring our special guest on. His name, again, Jacob Farley. 
He's only 21 years old, or 21 years young, depending on how you look at it. He's lived and worked with uh, the family uh, on the cattle farm in Michigan for his whole life. He's also worked in his father's auto repair shop for over five years. He enjoys being in the outdoors, especially off-road driving. He's here today to talk us about different varieties of ATVs, UTVs, and other uh, smaller uh, off-highway vehicles for homesteading and prepping usage. So, hey, with that, Jacob, welcome to the Survival Podcast, man. Eric, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm glad to have you on because I'm actually in the market for uh, either a UTV or an ATV, so this will help me as well as the audience, I'm sure. Um, But, I mean, maybe you could just start out with telling people you know the basically the main types of off highway vehicles that are available like their main classifications or whatever okay um well first of all we'll start with definition we both use right there um ATV for people who don't know is all terrain vehicle that's usually used more for like quads or quad bikes if you're in England um whereas UTV is I don't even know what it means I know the U is utility but I've never heard anyone fully explain what it is the, the, the way I've looked it up, it's utility terrain vehicle, I guess. So. That's that's what I've heard. I, it never really made sense to me, but I guess <laughs> if, I guess if everybody agrees on it, we'll use it. Um, those are more like your Polaris Rangers, Kawasaki Mules. There's dozens of different companies that all make them, and they're basically the same. They're four, usually four wheel drive. Some of them are bigger with six wheel drive, but. They'll seat two people side by side, kind of basically set up just like a small four-wheel drive truck, and they're about the size of a golf cart. And though for homesteads and stuff, those are really what I think are the best. We've dealt with on our farm, which is about 400 acres or so. We've had two of them. We've had a couple different golf carts. We've dealt with quads a little bit when we've had them. So I gotta say they're really handy for using. They be, they beat walking, hauling, five on pills everywhere. Yeah, and they've got, you know, some cargo capacity. That's what's kind of attracted me to them. They do seem to cost quite a bit more than a quad. Yeah. Yeah, you can, especially if you don't need four-wheel drive, you can get into a quad for a grand, two grand, whereas, like, checking on Craigslist just before I got on, most any even, like, used side-by-sides, it's going to be five grand and up for anything that was made in the last five, ten years, really, for anything good. I mean, and what are some of the advantages of one versus the other? I mean, to me, quads are more a play vehicle. There's some places I go fishing where even some of the UTVs would be very difficult to get into, but I could get in there with a quad, and the UTVs are much more of like a workhorse. Yeah. Um, You're going to get – you're, of course, going to get more power out of of a UTV because you're going to get like – UTVs usually you'll have somewhere around like an 800cc engine – Whereas a quad would be down four or five hundred range unless you start getting to the high performance ones, which really there's for any ATVs there's considered two classes: high speed and high power. And homestead survival uses there really isn't much use for the high speed like desert racing quads or racing UTVs. So stick with the high power more than the speed. Um, but if if you have if it's only one person or if you have a lot of very tight areas where you're you're going through paths that are only two three feet wide, you'll be better off with a quad because you can fit two people on them on them if that's what the manufacturer says or not because they have all their rules and laws on how it's supposed to be. But if you're confined 
living on very small trails, you'd be much better off with a quad. But if you can have the space, where about like four, if you're driving through areas that are four feet wide or so, side by side your UTVs, that's really the way to go, in my opinion. Are there are there certain vehicles that we just want to avoid? I mean, uh, from from just a, a type standpoint, or even from like a manufacturer standpoint. I know when I was looking, I was looking kind of between. Kawasaki and Polaris, and I don't remember, I think it was the Polaris where people were saying, they go really fast, they're really cool, but the maintenance on them is really freaking expensive. Um, well, the most of them, especially if you stick with your big name brands, you have Yamaha, who has the Rhino, Kawasaki with the Mule, Polaris with the Ranger, or the RZR, which is a little bit different than, it's kind it's, they'll, the RZR will do like 70 miles an hour. You can take them on the highway legally, but they're really only useful if you feel like going fast or if you have open desert or someplace out Texas, out west. Yeah, that can be very useful for you, but where I'm at in Michigan, we don't have enough space to, to, to make it up to 70 miles an hour, let alone make use of that speed. Yeah, especially um, without killing yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, yeah, Paul. for the biggest thing is just stick with major established like power sport brands, the big names. Um, I'm not going to say they're bad, but you got brands like um, Joiner is the one that's first coming to my head. Yeah, like Yanmar. They're Chinese companies. I'm not saying they're bad. I don't have any experience with them. I I don't know anywhere that's a major like. Yanmar joiner dealership, so I don't know where you'd get parts or if you'd be able to get them easily. Um, so basically, as long as you stick with any of the major brands, and everybody's making them these days. Cub Cadet makes them. International, like with the tractor, makes them now. What, what do you personally own? Like, if you were, or if you were going to go out tomorrow and, and pick one up, what would you maybe gravitate towards? Just on your experience, um, we had a Yamaha Rhino. It was. 600 cc if i remember right we just sold that a couple weeks ago because we replaced it actually with a golf cart because my mom didn't like going fast in it apparently <laughs> um, but we also have a kubota kubota makes it's the rtv it's like the rough train vehicle if you don't really have a need to go fast you can't beat the kubota it you can get full hard cab for a hydraulic dump bed we use it around the farm for pulling fully loaded gravity boxes full of corn, fully loaded hay wagons. We use it like a small tractor, basically. It, so as long as you're not going to go fast, the Kubota will pull anything, but it because of that, it has to lack in speed. Sure. Sure. You want to you have power, you know, usually you give up, you know, you either got top or bottom end. And, mm -hmm. I mean, Kubotas are, you know, they're tractors, they're, they're little backhoes and all are just known for tremendous pulling ability. Yeah. Um, is there, um, again, maybe some that you would, you'd really stay away from or mean, or, I mean, you're basically saying if it's a mainstream manufacturer, you're probably okay. Basically any of the mainstream brands, you'll be, you'll be fine with them. Um, and then basically, basically if you're buying one used, it's going to be the same as dealing with a used car because they're basically built the same as a small car. So anything that you would look, look at when you're buying a used car, you'd look at when you're buying a used side by side. Are there things that are common, though, that maybe the person that's more or less like the car aficionado may not 
think of like uh, certain. I know some of them the axles have a tendency to go. And is there certain things you can look for that are maybe common overlooked things by the first time buyer? Um, check basically like because usually they'll have kind of like a hydrostat or they won't have like a conventional automatic or manual transmission like a car would. You'd have to know, know what you're looking at with the transmission because different brands are going to have a little bit different ones, but just knowing if it's shifting right, if the fluid in it's good, if they've done any maintenance on it at all. Um, but no, most of most of the stuff actually will just wear out like a car wheel, and you, so you can tell it the same way. Tire, you can tell how the tires are. You can usually feel if there's slop in the in the um, steering or anything. It it's actually pretty impressive when working on them how they're just like working on a car that's half the size. Are there certain accessories or attachments that you found particularly useful? Are there some maybe that you found is you know don't waste your money on that? Um, well, there's there's always gonna be the ones that are like. I don't know who's going to waste their money on this. Someone will, and someone out there who will buy this and will find it very useful for them. I have no clue what that situation is going to be, but I guarantee it's there. Um, a roof is all, a roof and a windshield because some of them actually won't come with windshields. Okay. Usually windshields are considered standard, but some of them, if guy bought it, just bare bones, it won't have one. Windshield and roof will severely cut down on well the wind. Obviously, while you're driving, it'll make it a lot nicer. Um, if you're in a colder region like we are up here in Michigan, uh, like I am, um, door if it has the ability to get a full hard cab, doors and stuff, that would be something to look for. Um, usually, some of them, some brands will have specific little things to fix small problems, like um, Yamaha's, the Rhinos. Some of them I've seen they'll have um, replacement kits for underneath the seats, and they'll add storage under the seats because normally. There's nothing there, but it you can't really store anything there. So they add, it's a box that just you pull the seat out, and now you have storage underneath the seat, and you can actually make use of that space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, storage is a premium in any type of small vehicle, and the more stuff we keep there, the more we might have it when we need it. Um, what about, like, maybe some things that would be particularly advantageous to a homesteader, uh, trailers or any type of like blade attachments or anything like that. Is there anything you've tried that's worked really well, or seen somebody else use that's worked really well, or been like, man, that's just not the right tool for the right job? It, I wouldn't want to have to clean like to push a 300 yard driveway right with one, but <laughs> most most of them will have someone out there will make a snowplow for any any of the major like side by sides. Those are all, if you if you have a use for pushing around, understand you're not going to be pushing huge piles of dirt around and stuff. But it beats if you it beats instead of having to go trying to rent a bulldozer or something. If you just need to move something around or getting a snowplow for your truck, if you just have a small driveway to deal with, um, those are always useful. Winches, mo, winches, any of the major um, UTVs out there will have some form of attachment for a winch, even if it's aftermarket. So you can put a winch on it. And those are very handy for if you get it stuck, if you need to just pull something light, or they're like if say you're setting up a small window, or you could use it for standing up a gin pole. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, I've also I've also used winches often to uh, if you fall you fell a piece of timber and you might you know use a winch to to move it before you would drag it because you're just trying to drag it long ways before you go pulling it up a bank or something like that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Don't have had to do that a couple of times before. Um, 
the my father is actually a Colpin dealer. Colpin is an aftermarket company that, for, that makes stuff for all models of quads and UTVs. Colpin makes a three-point hitch, like on a tractor. It's a category zero, if I remember right. But it so it's but it you can get cultivators, um, a back blade, um, chisel plows and stuff, disc plows that are three, four feet wide that you can put on the back of a side by side and actually use them in a garden if you want if you were if you're like want a tractor for being able to plow and stuff, but I also want to have a side by side and I I don't have the money for both. You could buy the Colpin it's not gonna do everything that a tractor would, but it's a it's a very big start. Sure, and it's it beats a shovel. And oh yeah. I know I've seen a lot of guys use those types of attachments setting up like Food plots for deer on deer leases and things like that. Yeah, we, we that's what we used for our deer plot, and it it works nice because even like our our um our rhino, that's what it was, would do forty five miles an hour, and you can do forty five miles down the side of the road if you're only going on side of the pavement for a mile or two, and no one's really going to give you any trouble. Sure. Sure. Except the highways, though, you will yeah. have problems if you do that. I remember when I was a kid, I was big into like dirt bike motorcycles. This was before mm. all these things were around. There was the, the only ATVs that were around were the first generations of the three wheelers, which you know they yeah. didn't stick around very long because they had a tendency to like roll over and kill people. So all all my friends and I had was was dirt bikes, and I remember quite a few times. You know, you want to get from one dirt path to another, so you'd look up and down the road and go, "Okay, the one cop in our county's not here." So then you'd bolt down the road <laughs> to the next path. Oh, uh, I I know that situation. <laughs> um, yeah, um, and on the mention of three wheelers, three wheelers if you could find one cheaper, like. If your uncle or your brother has one that he wants to get rid of and is willing to give it to you for free, I wouldn't pass it up. I wouldn't go looking and think, my first choice is going to be one of those old Honda Big Red three-wheelers because they're really not as useful as a quad just because with three wheels, like you said, they're very easy to tip over. But yeah. it, it beats nothing. It sure does. <laughs> Anything it tends, it tends to beat nothing unless it's painful. Yeah. Um, I, I got to ask you a question on uh, something that keeps coming up, and it's one of those things that looks really cool, but I don't know how practical it is. Have you had any experience with the Roken motorcycle? I mean, is it is it the awesome sauce that's claimed to be, or is it hype, or is it somewhere between the two? I haven't had any firsthand experience with them, but I am familiar with them. I um I remember when I first heard about them, I thought they were the coolest thing ever, and like learning about them, they're like, and had that moment of. But what am I going to do with it? It it will do anything, but not practically. It, the the mil the U.S. Army actually tested them in the late seventies, and they said it's cool. It'll go anywhere we need it to, but it'll take one guy in a backpack. There really isn't a use for it that the, that the army could see, and that's kind of my opinion of it. Of if you have some area up in Alaska that you could only get to with a bike. The Rokan is the best choice out there, but it it kind of it it's like I was saying it's forty fifty years old. The design is mm. that they didn't have quads then, so that was their that was basically their quad. Now that you have a four wheeled quad that can carry two people and a lot more gear, I'd rather stick, I'd rather take the quad over it. Um, but on the note of the Rokan, a lot of one thing a lot of people say about them is that they're in 
them being amphibious that you can like float them across rivers. If you want something amphibious, look for um, the brand names Argo, A R G O, or there's also um, usually hear them as Maxes, like Max Twos or Max Fours are the ones I've always heard about. They're they look kind of like a big plastic boat, about four by eight kind of square, and it'll have either six or eight wheels on them, and they're amphibious. You can fit two people in them, and you're in the back. They'll have like a 20-horse Briggs and Stratton motor, and you can put tracks on them, winches, and you can go dang near anywhere. You can go, you, they'll swim across ponds, they'll drive up and down any banks you want, and if you if you have some place that you need a vehicle to be amphibious, that's really your best option. Yeah, and I mean, on the other places you can get to with them that you may not be able to get to with like a quad or a Willie's Jeep or something like that, the way Tim from Old Grouch, military surplus, put it was, if especially in, a, in like a prepper survival scenario or something like that, if I can't get a Willie's Jeep or a quad into a place, then maybe I shouldn't be going there in a first place in, in a remote environment or a dangerous environment, that it's probably a, better, a place that's better left unexplored for now. Yeah, and especially if you're getting out there on, like, a Rokon bike, now you've added the mechanical injury chance that you could wreck this, break your leg, and now if they if you couldn't get a Jeep there in the first place and it isn't the end of the world, how is the rescue team, if they know where you're at, going to get there to get you out easily? And even if they have their own Rokon, it carries one guy, so they can't use it to bring you out, especially when you're hurt laying your ass on the ground moaning. You mm-hmm. know, so now, now we're trying to fly a helicopter in or something to extract a guy, and I think that... Like, it's really cool to have all of these different options that are available today, but we do need to think about the concept of extraction in case of an emergency, having that exit strategy, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. That, that's, one, that's also one thing I'd like to say just on, like, the topic of bug-out vehicles or anything of, like, I'm going to load up my four-wheel drive truck and we're going to head up into the mountains, mountains and the zombies will never find us. <laughs> How are you going to get out? What is your plan there if you get stuck? What is your plan to try and come back? It really isn't working. Like, it's kind of like the thing of, well, I my gas tank will hold 20 gallons, and that'll get me 300 miles. Okay, you're there, three, you got 300 miles to get to where you're going. Unless you have another 20 gallons of fuel there to get you back if you need to return, you're kind of stuck there now because you're out of fuel. You have to understand in the ability of, Maybe I should be able to get back from the situation I'm going into, and that's one thing I think a lot of people overlook. Yeah, I would agree there. Coming back kind of the homesteading thing, where to you is the point where you go, okay, a quad's nice or a, 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 the UTV is nice, like a, like a mule or something like that, but now I need to say, you know what, to go to this level, I need to make the bigger investment and buy a good tractor. Um. Most most cases, anytime you're going to need a PTO, okay. if you have anything that you want to run a PTO on, I don't know of, I'm not going to say there's not, but I don't know of any UTVs out there with the with one exception that have PTOs. The only exception I know of is it's the um, Bobcat Toolcat, like Bobcat isn't the company that makes skid loaders, skid sears, whatever you want to call them. It's a side-by-side with like a skid loader hydraulic arm right dead center on it that will run a hydraulic mower, a bucket, and like, postal drill diggers, anything that you would attach to the front of a, um, like a skid steer, it yeah. will run it off the front of it. That one is very cool, but I they're rather expensive when you can find them. 
Yeah, I'm looking at one right now. I just threw it in the Google Images so I can see what they look like, and and I'm I'm looking at this and going, God, this looks like a wonderful vehicle, but it probably costs damn near as much as you know a little typical Bobcat uh, loader that has all those great attachments on the front, and will do more than this will in that capacity. I I haven't looked up a price yet, but I, I'm feeling a big expense here that I I probably don't want to even know. <laughs> oh yeah, and and being a bobcat, it's one of those things, kind of like or like the John Deere Gator. You're going to sure. be paying some of that money that you're paying right there is only for the name. That's all you're getting with that little chunk of the some chunk of that money is only paying for the name. And it it and with the toolcat, it's kind of the old saying of master uh, or jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. It can do everything, yeah. but not completely. Uh, here's the sticker shock for everybody out there that's wondering. I'm on equipmenttrader.com. I'm looking at a 2006 with low hours that's $32,000. I can buy a true skid load, little Bobcat skid loader for less than that. So that one you're going to have to convince me of because even a fully kind of macked out uh, UTV, you know, a la Bass Pro Shops with all kinds of stuff to make you buy it on it. It's going to run, you know, fourteen, sixteen thousand dollars, which is more than I'm paying anyway. Uh, Thirty-two grand, I could buy a small used excavator for that price. Mm-hmm. Um, the or one, two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one thing I have to say with the Toolcat is, um, one of the local community colleges, um, I was on their campus heading to a class. And they have one, and it's right dead center. And well, it's in Lan- it's Lansing Community College. For anyone who's familiar with Michigan, right dead center in Lansing, they had a toolcat for their maintenance crew. Where I would say that was the right choice because now, if you need to pick something up, you don't need to try and fit a skid loader down a sidewalk in the middle of a busy city. That You're already sense. already driving there. That would make sense because they only have room for one piece of equipment. So now they have to bring one that will do everything. But let's face it, most people, even with 10, acre, uh, 10 acres, you have room for more than one piece of equipment. Yeah. Ex- especially at over 30 grand. I mean, and you, with, with that cost, if you're smart and buy used, you could do, you could save, you could still have some money left over and you could buy a decent uh, UTV and a decent little, you know, used Kubota with a, with a, with a front end loader and a, and a bucket on it. I mean, that's, that's a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a cheap guy. But at some point, you look at it and go, "That that's expensive." Mm-hmm. Um, on the note of price, and with you saying Bass Pro Shops, if you're looking at some of these side by side stuff, and even you saying it's nice, but I I want that, but I don't want to spend that much money. Or is there a way I can get it a little bit cheaper? One consideration is golf carts. Okay. And um, there, well, you have two types of golf carts. You're going to have your completely electric ones and you're going to have like your gas powered ones if you want to have your eco-friendly solar panel charge like you have like your charging station set up so you can charge the batteries for your little electric golf cart go ahead if you're working where you're going to be spending a lot of time driving indoors and stuff i'd rather have an electric one just so i don't have to deal with breathing in gas fumes indoors but for basic any major usage for a for like a homestead, I'd go with one of the gas ones, and you can get into a good. It's going to be harder to find one in four wheel drive and more expensive, obviously. But a two wheel drive golf cart with good tire, like good, like aggressive kind of lawnmower t- tires on it, 
we'll get most places you want to go, and you'll be able to fit either four people or easily four or five bales of hay on the back of a golf cart, and you can get into that for three grand, thirty five hundred dollars. Yeah, absolutely. Now, something I saw out at Shot Show that was really cool. I don't know if you've seen any of them I, at all. I, I'm familiar with them. I know the ones you're talking about because you've been you've been trying to remember the name. Bad Boy Buggies. Yep, that's it. Right. They had a black one that was gas and electric, but it wasn't really a hybrid. It was like electric when you want and gas all the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. And they had uh, uh, what do you call the uh, infrared camera on it with a screen. And, like, for security use, you could drive this thing, and when you wanted to go silent, switch to electric, pop the lights off, and pop this, uh, this, uh, this, this, this IR camera on it, and it was freaking cool. Uh, but they wouldn't let me take pictures of it. I was like, I'm part of the media. I'm here. I've got a press pass. And they were like, no pictures, no pictures. I'm like, well, I guess you guys want to have an awesome product and not have anybody know about it. Yeah. Um, that That's a – I've heard with that actually about bad boy buggies that like they'll release something. They're kind of like Caltech. We're yeah. releasing this, but no one can know about it for a year and then it won't be available for like three years, years after we yeah. say it's coming out. But like when it finally comes out, it'll be the best thing out there. But the bad boy buggies are cool, especially if you want to use, especially for hunting and stuff like you were said. Cause um, I, I remember even listening to when you're talking to Wade Bolin and you're talking about him and like, and I was actually driving our tractor leveling out our garden. And I'm like, Grabbing out of the steering wheel, like, bad boy buggies, bad boy buggies, screaming it out. Like, I, was like, I know he can't hear me, but I'm going to just scream it out anyways. Sure. Oh, um, but yeah. That's funny. <laughs> uh, but I was like, just wait till the interview. Just wait till the interview. We'll say it then. Um, but that's actually what we have now is a golf cart. That We have my, my grandfather, who also runs our farm. He has his Kubota, and then we replaced our Yamaha with a golf cart because – we made money selling selling the right selling the Yamaha, and the golf cart will do most everything we need it to do. It wasn't that often that we needed to have four wheel driver. We needed the speed that you're really going to get out of a UTV. We were fine with the golf cart most of the time. How are they for their ability to pull and haul weight, though? I mean, that would be my because you could save a lot of money buying one. You can get a yeah. decent one of those for used for two two grand. I've seen them, you know, and you look at it and go, "There's nothing wrong with it." Yeah, it, that's that's the one downside because everything has a downside. That's that's it right there. That you don't have a lot of power for pulling. You're not going to be able to put as much weight on them. But like, we have a lot of dairy farms up in this area. Nearly every single dairy farm around here has at least one golf cart. Most of them two, and they'll use them because they're cheap. And you can they don't, doesn't matter if anything breaks on them because they're cheap to replace them and. They use them for running around feeding calves and stuff because they don't. The farmer doesn't want to have to pay ten grand for like a good UTV and then have a bunch of let's face it, stupid farm boys messing around with it, having too much fun driving too fast and breaking stuff. Sure, yeah, it's, it's kind of a self-limiting, stupid uh, prevention system. It'll only go about you know twenty miles an hour, so that's that's all you're going to be able to do with it. Yeah, but and. Like I was saying with uh, with side by sides, there are a lot of accessories out there for golf carts. You can get kits to make them four wheel drive. You can get lift kits so you can actually have more than three inches of ground clearance. You can get like a seat on the back where you'd normally put golf cart or golf clubs if you're on a course. It turns it into a seat, then you fold it over and you have about a four by four little flatbed area to store stuff on. Mm. 
Do you start to get to a point, though, where if you start doing things like making it four-wheel drive and putting a lift on it, that cost-wise you might as well have just found a decent used um, you know, UTV? Yeah. Um, one thing, is, like you see, a lot of the stuff is also for like the people who like kind of like retirement home areas that were – they don't have a full use of a car, and I understand that. Where yep. I'm only driving a mile at most, and I'm not going that fast. So they have golf carts, gas ones, because they're not loud. They're pretty mild, and you can just drive them around. And a lot of the stuff is kind of towards that, but you can still get, like, soft cabs if you already ha- have one. And if you already have a golf cart, you can get, like, a soft cab form, or you can get, like, the flatbed. And even then, ours, with how it's set up, I don't think we have too much in it. I think it's probably like maybe four grand at most from the last one we set up because we've had a couple golf carts actually and about four grand to have it set up to everything we needed it to do around the farm well that's definitely a cost savings because even a a decent used you know ranger or mule or whatever i've I've seen them running anywhere from six to twelve thousand dollars yeah the ground clearance is a big issue, though, for a lot of you know people that would be using them on a farm or a ranch or a homestead. So the fact you can lift them is kind of cool. Yeah, ours has a lift kit on now, and off the top of my head, I think it's about eight inches from like the bottom of like the bottom of the floor, like the rocker panels. If it was a car to the ground, is about eight inches of clearance, and that'll get basically anywhere we need it to go. And if it's not going to get there, it's back to the thought of why am I going here if I can't get here easily. And, of course, on your homestead, you have the ability to put things in, like driving paths and all, that yeah. kind of circumvent the, the need to, to, to think that way. Uh, so it's I guess it's, you know, you're basically saying a roundabout way is the right tool for the right job, depending on your needs. Mm-hmm. And and I will I will say this, because if I have no other choice, I guess it beats walking to bug out on a golf cart, but it's not my first choice. <laughs> golf cart. The one you have is a gas-powered one, right? Yes. Um, with, with the gas-powered golf carts, for those who aren't familiar with them, you have, like, your brake pedal and a gas pedal and a key. Then you have, like, a switch for reverse or forward, and it doesn't run. You you just put it into forward. Don't The key doesn't turn, like, to engage a starter. You actually push on the gas pedal, and then it will start the engine and run until you let off the gas pedal, and then it will shut back off, which is also very useful if you're, like, if you're dealing with, like, you have a horse barn or something where you need to drive in, but you don't want to have it sit there idling, smoking up a barn. That's a very useful factor for them. So basically, when you stop, the motor stops. Yeah. Huh. I've never driven one of those, so that would be... It might take a little getting used to, but I'm sure it's not much. I mean, when I first bought my Jetta diesel, you you know, the thing will take off like a raped ape when you hit it, but there's like this half-second pause while the turbo winds, and you're like, what the hell is... And then there it goes, you know, and I guess it might be kind of the same thing. Because mm-hmm. like the first time, because I hadn't driven a golf cart in years, and I felt like a big idiot when I we got our new one. I'm sitting in, and like I need to go move it, so I get in, turn the key, looking around. Okay, the key doesn't turn to start. Is there a button somewhere? Where, how do how do I start this thing? What am I doing wrong? It's not doing anything. They were oh yeah, it's a golf cart. I have to press on the gas. Sell it like friends from New Jersey when they come down here and they've never pumped gas in their life because they have that stupid law there. Yeah. Where civili- like civilians can't pump gas. You have to have the gas guy do it. And, mm-hmm. and they don't know how to work a gas pump. I, it's amazing. You see a 30-year-old guy who can't, can't figure out how the gas pump works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I guess it's all based on, you know, past, past experiences. Well, you know, I guess the other aspect of this is they are a tremendous advantage for the, the outdoorsmen, hunting, fishing, camping, um, yeah. 
that I, you know, I kind of vacillate between do I really need an RV or when we go out to places like state parks and all, would I be better off towing behind one of these little vehicles and, you know, selling the RV off because I can rent a cabin, but having that kind of freedom is, is really a huge thing. And for hunting, they're just, you can get to places like, because I think the big thing is for me, it, it's not so bad anymore, but like when I used to have a normal day job with hunting, it was about time. Yeah. Right, so it's not that I'm not I'm too lazy to walk seven miles in, but if I can only hunt for three or four hours in the evening, that that I don't have time to do that. Yeah, and th- that's one thing we use we use ours for hunting because like because up here we're hunting farm we're here, we're hunting um, farmland we're hunting you're sitting like on the edge of the woods so you can watch into the woods which is only like three hundred yards across at most and then over over a field where you can see for easily half a mile clear with nothing and like well last year i shot my deer fell in the middle of the field so it's like 30 degrees i was like yeah we'll just leave it sit it's not nothing's wrong nothing bad's gonna happen with it sitting in 30 degree weather for a couple hours go out there at lunch just drive straight across the field because none of the deer are out the farmer doesn't care if we're driving across his field throw it in the back and you just take it off right there and if it beats having to drag it even half a mile if you can drive right up to it and throw it in the back of basically a truck yeah, if you think it's fun to drag a deer seven miles, yeah. you've never drug a deer seven miles. Because if you do it once, you'll try to avoid doing it again. I've I've had a, a drag that long one time. I was 14 years old, and it's absolutely never happened again because it did suck. I got home about midnight that day. Uh, it was uh, it was I thought it was cool, you know, like you're doing the thing like you see on TV and you're backpacking and all. Yeah, it sucked. It's one of those things that it's really cool until about until the third step you take dragging the deer, and then you're like, why did I think this was cool for the next seven miles? And that was back before they had, like, these deer sleds and deer handles and all that stuff. You just had a rope and a stick. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, I, I've had smaller deer where you can basically, once they're blood out, throw them over your shoulders, but this was a big deer, and it was it was not fun. So uh, if you had, like, one piece of advice for the person that's decided that they're going to go out and find one of these vehicles as far as doing it without being cheap but trying to be affordable, what would, what would be the best advice you can give somebody when it comes to finding an affordable but in, in decent shape vehicle? The first thing I would say is may, is if you if at all possible and you have like a friend who owns one of these, go use theirs. Not saying like go borrow it constantly or something. Go drive theirs. Make sure it's what you want. Because nothing sucks worse than spending six grand to buy one of these, and then about half a year later thinking, did I really need this? It doesn't do everything I want, or I don't need it to do all of this. Because there's no point spending money on to get to to basically buy something that goes 70 miles an hour when I have no need to ever go above 30. And that's one thing I would consider is make sure it's what you want before you decide for it, and. Don't get bogged down in, well, I want one with a windshield, or I want one with doors, and it this one doesn't have it, but it's a good deal beyond that, but I want one with doors or something. Most of these accessories, it's it's one of those times that it's actually cheaper to put them on afterwards than, because you got the guy who's selling it on Craigslist, and I got, I got six grand worth of accessories into this, and it's like, yeah, but I only need half of them. I, why am I paying for the rest of them if you're not going to keep them because you won't have a use for them once this is sold, and I don't have a use for them, period. Consider buying like a bare-bones one and building it the way you want. 
sure and phasing into it. That way you don't have to absorb yeah. all the cost at once. My other thing is when I always tell this, when anybody's shopping for a house, a car, anything, the, when the, the seller says, I have X into it, the response should always be, that's not my problem. Yep. Because just because you have it into it doesn't mean that's what it's worth on the market. And I think that like one of the best things you could do to become a better negotiator, and I don't know if you've seen this show at all, but Pawn Stars. Yep. That's like the ultimate show to learn how to negotiate as the buyer. The old, the old man there it is basically exactly my grandfather. He, he, they talk the same. They look very similar, and they act exactly the same. That's awesome. I love that guy. And, oh. and the, 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 the kind of the, the dad that, you know, he seems to be the sharpest uh, knife in that drawer. And then that, that, that fat guy, I can't remember his name now, but I, I wonder if he's really that dumb or that's just like the non-reality TV act, you know? That, that's, that's what I've always heard is most, most of it's an act. And it's like, it's TV. I, be, I believe, I, I believe most anytime I'm told that what's on TV is a lie. I'm ready to believe that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you? Do you have any particular uh, additional like accessories or add-ons that you think would be really uh, advantageous to the uh, the homesteader? Um, get the Colpin, the Colpin stuff like or any like plows. If most most of them that have like an actual bed on them, like um, as I was saying earlier, there's the Polaris RZR. Doesn't really have a bed; it just kind of has like this box on the back for storage. But like the Rangers and stuff, all have a bed on them that will dump, which is very handy. Period. If you can find one with like a hydraulic dump, and it's not that expensive to get one with a hydraulic dump, it's really nice when you decide, well, I need to move some dirt. You fill the back of the bed up with it, and now realizing how hard it is to actually manually dump a bucket full of dirt. Like that, if you can get like a hydraulic assist, those ones are those are really handy. Um, for people up, like up north, a heater is is usually really useful because I had to drive that Kubota of my grandfather's about two miles across open fields in the middle of winter, bringing heaters in from a from deer blinds. That was one of the coldest days of my life. <laughs> That's ironic too. You're freezing picking up heaters. Yeah, I know. They're like just stacking the back. It's like there's no way I'm gonna be able to run one of these things here. It's like, and just, it's like the, it's like I just that was one of the times. It's like yeah, it'd be really nice to have doors because then I just don't even have to deal with the wind. Interesting note with the Kubota. There is a guy in our town who has one of the Kubotas, and th- and like I said, they're slower, but they'll stu- still do 35 miles an hour easily. He has it with the whole Kubota brand, plastic hard hard top, windshield, back doors, everything. The guy, I don't remember what it is. He has a medical disorder that he cannot have a driver's license. But because this Kubota has a slow-moving vehicle triangle on the back, it doesn't need a driver's license to drive. That's what he drives two miles out of town to the dairy farm he works at every day. Oh, wow. So he's like the Amish guy with the... With the the, the orange triangle on the the horse and buggy that you're like, get over, dude. I want to go around you. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and, and you can move a little faster. Mm-hmm. And like he he goes on the side of the road and stuff. But I get for him that's the best thing out there because it, you can drive it any day of the week. He he actually has heat and air conditioning on it. That's awesome. It's, it's basically just a car for him, but he doesn't need a driver's license for it, so he's fine. Sure, and he's not going that far either, so the speed's not a big yeah. deal. Um, 
we touched on this a little bit when we mentioned the Roken with the military, but you've actually had some experience with some military vehicles too. Do you have any thoughts on like you know the the current stuff that's available in the mill cert market for from a vehicle standpoint? Yes, I've dealt with. I've dealt with the M211, which some of the older guys who listen to this know what I'm talking about, and a lot of people don't know what it is. I'll get back to it once I get done, though. Um, and M35A2, which the A2s are the best series of the M35s, in my opinion, and that's general cor- correct opinion, and an M800 Wrecker, which I can't think of the exact number on right now, that we used for the towing company I worked for. That's what our big off-road recovery vehicle was. And I also have dealt with the CUCV Blazers because one of my good friends, that's basically his daily driver. Um, I was saying with the 211, that is like the Korean Air, the Korean War era deuce and a half truck. It was built by GM, has the big curved hood. You'll see them on MASH every now and then. They're not a bad vehicle, but they wouldn't be my first choice for a two and a half ton truck. Um, if you're looking at a military vehicle like that, and you like, and you want something that's actually six wheel drive, two and a half ton. The M thirty five A two. There is really nothing out there from from the U S military that can compete for the price and all the abilities. It's the A two series all the way, from in my opinion. He's as a mechanic that's worked on the newer stuff and the older stuff, and you yeah. know from from the Covey up to the you know five and ten ton truck tractors. I have to say, it's the easiest thing to work on. It's the easiest thing to learn how to drive. It's the cheapest thing to fix, and they're pretty damn cheap right now in the surplus market. Mm-hmm. And they're big, but they're not stupid big. They're not like a 900 series five ton where it's like this massive freaking you know giant thing that rumbles down the road and needs an extra foot of lane or whatever. Yeah, and like they're they're still big, but when like we had that 800 wrecker I was talking about. One of the tires had habit of going flat. When you have to take a 52-inch Michelin tire up to 90 pounds, pounds from zero, you realize thinking maybe I don't need tires this big because yeah. when it takes and when it takes you easily 15 minutes to inflate a tire, you're thinking, do I really need something this big? Or when you have to change them, they're just a pain. <laughs> yeah, we I worked on Hammets, and you change mm-hmm. those tires with a forklift. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's it, it's it's unbelievable. You know, you're you're looking at lug nuts that are the size of like a, a can of almonds. Yeah. Uh, it's it's it, bigger is not always better, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, on the note of Hemets, the rims that they used to super single this wrecker were Hemet were modified Hemet rims. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Folks, imagine a tire that's as tall as you are. It's it's mm-hmm. the best way I can explain it. Yeah, and it's oh. heavy. It's heavy, empty, and it's really heavy once there's air in it. Yeah. Um, and on the note of, well, as I said, they're super singles. That's when you take a vehicle that would normally have dual dual wheels, usually in the rear, because I have seen deuce and a halves with dual front tires. Apparently they needed them for sand or something, and they actually helped, but I'm still not sure on that, or trying to steer that with no power steering. Well, you got me on that one. I've never um, seen that. I'm going to have to look that up. Cool. I've seen a couple of them, especially seen them back in like North Africa during World War II. You'll, every now and then you'll see pictures, and they just look real weird. And you look at the picture again, you realize there's two front tires, two front tires bolted onto the normal front tires. Wow! Uh, but super singles are where you take where you normally have two wheel, two uh, you'd have dualies. You convert it to just one large wheel, and you can get 
better mileage because you have it's less weight, more aerodynamic. You can get better traction because it's you will actually usually when they increase them you'll have bigger ground footprint to grab better. They'll be wider and they'll have better tread on them too. What are your thoughts, if, if any at all, on the uh, older Willys Jeeps? I'm kind of going to share my opinion that is. Well, that my opinion is the same one Tim Glantz has. If you want a military vehicle that's going to do Jeep things, that's what you want. But aside from, like, really the collector's value, that, like, the M38s, the A1s, and the World War II-era Willys have, you can usually pick up the civilian Willys Jeeps, like the CJ Series, basically the same price, if not cheaper. And also you have a better choice of... You'll have di- actually different choices on transmissions every now and then. If you want something that, if you want more power than just the four cylinder that, like the um, M38 A1s have, the CJ5s, you'll find them with guys putting V8s and stuff in them, but they'll have four cylinders, six cylinders, V8s and stuff in them if you want more power. Okay. Yeah, I mean, what I've always liked about them is you can buy one, put a few bucks into it, even if you're rebuilding the transmission, and 10 years later, you can get your money back out of it. And I don't just don't know of another vehicle anywhere that, that qualifies for that. Yeah. With, you know, unless you're talking about 67 Fastback Mustangs or something that, you know, most of us, we're not going to be spending the kind of money. You know, that's like, that's more expensive than the uh, Toolcat, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not going to be able to spend the money to buy them in the first place to resell them to make the money. Sure, sure. But, I mean, like the Willys Jeeps, I've seen them three, $4,000 in really nice yeah. shape. Yeah. And there, that is completely true with them, is, they do, is it's the collector's value of them. And um, we'll talk about collector's it's been mentioned, you, Tim Glantz has mentioned it, Wade Boland mentioned it when he was on, Steel Soldiers. If you have questions about military vehicles, Steel Soldiers has answered that question, I guarantee it. And if not, they'll be more than happy to accept a new challenge. Yeah, um, absolutely. Now, I actually think the, the, the CUCVs, the Cuffies, are uh, really a great uh, option of what's available today. They're... Uh, they're not really anything special, but they are affordable and they are pretty damn easy to work on. Yeah. Um, the, on, the only problem I have with the CUCVs is that they never that the army never bought a suburban version of them because I would love like the 456 gears, the one and a, the one and a quarter ton chassis, and the 62 diesel in a suburban. Oh, I would I love you. I would love that for a bug out vehicle. But it's like the Blazer, it's nice, but I can sit like eight people in a Suburban or five people comfortably and still have room to sleep in the back. That is true. There's an, there's an awful lot of space in those, and I think trying to retrofit that motor and that gearing into an old Suburban would probably be not cost-effective, but it would have been a, it would have been a good, uh, good idea to build. Yeah, you, they they did they did still make the old square bodied square bodied suburbans on like the civilian side. They made them with the six twos. They're not that common though. There, I was looking for them because I was th- I was thinking about one. I was ha- it was like finding hen's teeth to use that old phrase because okay. there's like five of them available in the country. It's like they made them, but nobody ever bought them because like eh, gas is cheap. I'd rather have the I'd rather have like the seven four or something. <laughs> Oh, I know what I didn't ask you about when we were talking about the ATVs, UTVs. What, what are some of the basic maintenance things that a person should probably learn how to do 
for themselves? And what are some of the things that maybe, uh, unless there's no other choice, it might make more sense to use a shop for? Um, changing oil and stuff, it's the same. It's really going to be basically the same for bikes, like dirt bikes or motorcycles, quads, UTVs. That's all basically going to be the same with cha- like changing the oil, basic simple maintenance like that. Um, as I was talking with before with the transmissions, because they're different ones, some of the transmissions are especially like if you if you looked at one of those tool cats and thought that is what I need and I'm willing to pay that price for it, I have no clue what's up with the transmission on that because of how they run the hydraulics and stuff. That one I'm probably gonna say you should talk to a Bobcat dealer about maintenance on like the transmissions and stuff. But if you understand what it is and you can find the resources to to um explain how to work on them and you think you're capable of it, go ahead. Are there some common points of failure that you can expect that you're going to be replacing, you know, something every couple of years if you keep a vehicle that long or whatever? Ours, tires, obviously. You're going to wear sure. out tires. Um, ours, we really haven't had to replace that much. U-joints um, on the Kubota we had to, we've had to do, but that we my grandfather's had that thing for five years easily, so... And he drives that thing every day, so running out U-joints really isn't a big deal when you have a vehicle that's five years old that's driven every day. Um, none of ours have actually had any major cases of failure. If you're going, if you're going to be also taking them like up on two tracks and stuff and beating around on them, jumping them and stuff, you're going to wear out front-end components and you do have a chance of breaking them, which then you'd either replace them or... If you're going to continue doing it, I would say upgrade them. <laughs> but though, but most of them, they actually, as long as you aren't beating on them or expecting way too much out of them, we've never had to replace anything that's really worn out that isn't just a regular, just an item that's going to wear out eventually. Like a design to wear out component, like a tire. Yeah. It's not that it wears out because it's bad. It's the it's a design to fail product that's yeah. it's the road and it's going to wear. Um, yeah, I think I've, I've read a lot of people that say, you know, have these maintenance nightmares with this vehicle or that vehicle. And it's a lot of times people that are buying, let's say, a utility-grade vehicle and trying to act like it's a high-performance vehicle. And then yeah. going, gee, I blew out my front axle. Well, yes, fool, you, you drove it like an idiot. And it's not designed to be done. You know, to be to be handled that way. Mm-hmm. So it has, a, but it's like it has a top speed of sixty-five miles an hour. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're supposed to do it for seven hours straight. Yeah, it's like yeah. That, that will wear out your gears. Yeah, my um, F three fifty Super Duty probably has a top speed of about one hundred and thirty miles an hour, but it's not designed to do that. That's you know, yeah. that's um, not what it's for. Uh, one last thing, uh, trailers. Um, to me, that's like a, a kind of a, a big thing you want to consider because. Using it around your homestead and all is fine, but if you want to take it camping and fishing and hunting and stuff like that, uh, you can only get away with watching for the cop for a certain amount of time down down the road on one of these things. Yeah, um, ours for like the for like, any, like when any, whenever we'd move our rhino or the golf cart, we actually use it's just a normal like six by ten utility trailer that we got at TSC. They're all of these are basically light enough that they'll fit on just your normal little utility trailers. So you're, you're talking about tractor supply there, I guess. That, yeah. That, 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 a few hundred, you know, yeah. five six hundred dollar trailer, and and you're good to go. Yeah. Um. And then there are also trailers out there that are designed to be pulled by, like quads and stuff. If you want to be able to haul stuff there, though, if 
those are a useful thing to consider if you're ever going to be moving like a lot of dirt or something. Th- those are pretty handy. Um, one thing quick before I forget with talking about the military vehicles, you were talking about driving the old, um, the 900 series five tons. Correct. And uh, as you said, I know you said you've worked on them. I've heard about problems with ABS on them where you want ones with ABS because if not, they can crash and burn and explode. Yeah. Yeah. The, my biggest problem with the five, the 900 series five tons is there's this, we always used to call it a UFO. Like like an unidentified flying object, but it was it was an air valve. Uh, yeah. It did an awful lot of of things and 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 controlled where the air flowed to a lot of places. And they would routinely, especially when the vehicle was sitting and not being used much, the seals would dry out, all the air would leak out, and the brakes would lock up. Mm-hmm. Um, we came up with a process for rebuilding them, which was basically take it all apart lube up all the valves and put it back together because it was, at the time anyway, in Panama taking us six months to get one. Um, And then we came up with a procedure that kept it from happening, which was you take the big airline off and spray WD-40 in there, fire it up, fill the air up, and let it out and do that once every couple weeks. And we never had one go bad after that. But that with the brakes, that was my big thing that we had to figure out, what the hell do we do about this? Because it was a constant problem, you were constantly sending the wrecker out to pull a truck back, and they have these these bolts that go into the the, the brake uh, actuators, the fail safes, and you have to stick them in there and lock them and tighten mm-hmm. nuts up to pull the brakes loose so you can tow the damn thing. And it scared the shit out of quite a few operators. And a, you know, it was an aviation unit, and a lot of these guys were an operator of a truck. They weren't a truck driver, so they were a clerk or a cook or something. And you know, everybody in the the, the unit would basically have a vehicle they were responsible for because we had more vehicles than the unit needed at current strength. And some of these people would just be told, you know, take this down there and it's your vehicle, so you take it over there to get it loaded up. And it would freak them the hell out when all of a sudden the air would just dump and the tires would lock. Yeah. <laughs> and um, one one thing also with the – on that note with the 900s, check your local laws if you're thinking about buying one. Like um, California Mich- – well, Michigan, because it has air brakes, it falls under a CDL. I don't mm. remember with that if it's – there's a recreational um, by, like, clause in the law because of it. Check your laws because you do not want to get pulled over for an operating a vehicle without a CDL if it needs one. They take that very seriously. Yeah, um, in, I would say that with everything, guys, because like yeah. one of the things they did in Texas was that if you're towing a trailer with a tank with a greater capacity than 500 gallons, it, it required a CDL. And that hit a lot of the construction companies really hard because they had all these water tanks for directional boring and, and street cleanup and stuff like that. And, you know, the red, it was just a regular truck, but it had a trailer with this tank. And I think they ended up with some kind of loophole. But you never know. If, you, if you're going outside of the norm, I, I think that's great advice. Well, Jacob, man, thanks. This has been a really informative episode. And uh, I think maybe it'll help some people make uh, better decisions about... Uh, UTVs and ATVs in the future, and maybe a little bit on military vehicles as well. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Jack. It was a pleasure to, pleasure to be able to help, and I've gotten a heck of a lot out of this, or out of listening to your show for almost a year now, so it's good to be able to put something back. Well, hey, man, we appreciate uh, both you listening and participating. Uh, and with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Jacob Farley, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.
TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Yeah.